So I want to welcome you all to our first podcast out of the gate here at Attune Health. I'm Lee Bell. I'm board certified holistic nutritionist, and I'm really proud to be part of this team and especially happy to be part of the compelling idea behind Attune Health. And that is to significantly improve the lives of those with autoimmune diseases and inflammatory conditions, utilizing the latest research, innovative technologies, functional nutrition, lifestyle modification, physical therapy, as well as integrative modalities uh, like acupuncture and muscle activation techniques, just to name a few. If we take a look at autoimmunity today in the U.S., the numbers are staggering. Research suggests that over 90% of the population suffers from inflammation or an autoimmune condition. There are some who call autoimmunity a modern epidemic due to rates that have quadrupled in the past 50 years. Approximately 50 million Americans, 20% of the population, or one in five, suffer from an autoimmune disease, and women are far more likely than men to be affected. Some estimates say that 75% of those affected with autoimmunity are women. So um, I know that a lot of you can relate to this, that, you know, an average patient sees six to 10 physicians over the course of five years in order to get an accurate diagnosis. So these podcasts are for you if you have unexplained symptoms that lead you to suspect you may have an autoimmune disease. These podcasts are for you if you already have a diagnosis. And these podcasts are for you if you're looking for greater insight into what life might be like and how you may be able to offer greater support for a partner, a family member, or a friend with an autoimmune condition. So when you tune in here, you'll have access to the latest research, the most current hypotheses, both in the U.S. and around the globe, cutting-edge ideas that come from the leaders in traditional medicine as well as functional and integrative medicine. And these podcasts will also offer you concrete strategies that you can utilize to maximize your health. So to get into the more granular aspects of the future of autoimmune care, today we're going to talk to Dr. Swami Venturapalli, who is sometimes in this office fondly referred to as Dr. Swami or Dr. V. Um, Or my personal favorite is I'm here to see the doctor with a really long last name that begins with a V. But regardless of how you address him, I know him as the visionary behind Attune Health. So it seems entirely fitting that he would be here on this inaugural podcast. So let me tell you a little bit more about who Dr. Ventrapali is in the pantheon of rheumatology. So he is clearly an authority in the field of rheumatology. After graduating from the National Medical College in Mumbai, India, he completed his residency as chief resident at the State University of New York, Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York. He received advanced training in health services research at UCLA, where he conducted pioneering research on complementary and alternative medicine, publishing studies on Ayurvedic medicine. Um, Ayurvedic medicine is the ancient healing system from India. And this included, um, you know, up to the minute dietary supplements and mind-body medicine. So... Is that it? Is that all you have for us, Doctor? <laughs> it sounds way more than it should be. Um, thank you so much for having me on this um, podcast, and um, and congratulations on hitting the ground running with this. I'm ha- very happy to be here. Uh, well, I'm very happy to have you. I I think first we should start. I think it would be great if you could pronounce your last name so that once and for all we can set the record straight. 
Um, well, the pronunciation is uh, Venturupalli. Okay. Um, it's a soft T, but, you know, that's too much detail. I like that. No, I like that. It's something something for all of us to aspire to. But I, I think for, for uh, the, uh, the near future, I'm just going to resort to Dr. V. So of all of the specialties that you could have chosen, what really sparked your interest in rheumatology? Well, I was really interested in the immune system um, and how it functioned. When I was um, growing up um, in India, in Bombay, um, in the 80s, um, the AIDS epidemic um, had hit the world. And uh, it was really fascinating to me that the immune system um, was responsible for really keeping us so healthy. So I really got interested in the immune system. I maintained that interest through medical school and my um, internal medicine training. Um, naturally, I was always interested in understanding the body as a whole rather than um, breaking it down to the point of being unrecognizable. And so I, when I had the opportunity to uh, subspecialize in, internal, in a uh, subspecialty of internal medicine, I gravitated towards um, rheumatology because it really um, allowed me to um, figure out all the moving parts in the body to not ignore any one organ just because I was not a specialist in that particular organ, to look at a patient as a whole person, and uh, to apply my knowledge and skills um, in a meaningful way um, for, for the patient without having to uh, absolve myself of owning any organ system of their body. So in, in general, yeah, my interest in the immune system and also my interest in finding a subspecialty of medicine that did not divide up the uh, person into various organ systems was what made me interested in rheumatology. And then I um, happened to have a great um, mentor, Dr. Richard Weisbart, who was a great um, bench scientist, actually. He did basic science research. And, um, you know, he really brought basic science and his knowledge of what was going on in the immune system to the bedside. He was he truly embodied that concept of bench to bedside, which mm -hmm. uh, to me is what medicine really aspires to be. And uh, having that sort of mentorship really uh, excited me. Um, I'm very sad to um, report that uh, Dr. Weisbart actually passed away um, last year, and that was a great uh, blow to all of us um, students of his who had studied rheumatology with him at the uh, Sipalavada VA and UCLA All of You program. Mm -hmm. But that's why I chose rheumatology. So... Um... Given your expertise in immunity, to what do you attribute um, the rise of autoimmunity in Western industrialized countries? You know, that's a tough question. Um, the, there are many theories about it, um, and I can certainly list some of the theories. But 
Um, I, you know, the bottom line is that this is an area of active research and the exact answer as to why autoimmunity is rising hasn't been uh, totally agreed upon by everyone who studies this uh, condition. Mm-hmm. Um, but in in general, some of the theories are that um, we as a society have um, sedentary lifestyles. Our diets are very high in um, high energy foods like sugars. And excess sugars are stored as fat. We know that we have an obesity epidemic, which is concurrent with this rise in autoimmunity and whether or not the same factors that play a role in that also play a role in autoimmunity is still being investigated. But uh, certainly there are theories that they're related. Um, Exposure to toxins in the environment, both through pollution and also through food that's consumed. Um, there is the hygiene hypothesis of autoimmunity, where which um, basically um, works on the uh, theory that um, in in young uh, childhood and in young adulthood, uh, exposures to various um, pathogens is important in training the immune system uh, to behave in an appropriate manner. And as um, these uh, infections have decreased and also as uh, there has been an increase in um, hygiene and, you know, disinfecting every surface that a child might come into contact with, um, the theory is that the immune system basically doesn't have as many threats in in its developing um, period. Uh, because of which, down the road, um, uh, there are certain disorders that can develop in how the immune system processes um, pathogens and overreacts to certain pathogens, ultimately leading to autoimmunity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's several other theories of that sort, but I think, uh, honestly, at this point in time, I would say it's uh, more speculation than um, knowledge that is um, scientifically codified and accepted widely. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because in terms of this hygiene hypothesis, we tend to value cleanliness, right? That's something that we yeah. wear as sort of a badge of honor in the West, that we raise our children in almost sterile environments. Right. Um, yeah, and you know, a really interesting um, paper that caught my attention early in my rheumatology career was um, the um, this paper that looked at the incidence of lupus in uh, Africa mm-hmm. and comparing it to the incidence of lupus in African-Americans. So it turns out that African-Americans um, uh, seem to get uh, disproportionately higher uh, caseloads of lupus. And also African-Americans who do get lupus tend to be um, sicker than um, the um, other races that might get uh, lupus. So, but when you compare it, um, this to Africans in Africa, the incidence of lupus seems to be much lower. And um, the hypothesis that was generated from this particular observation was that uh, the immune system of Africans in Africa is dealing with um, a lot more pathogens early on 
and hence is uh, trained not to be able to distinguish between self-antigen and non-self-antigen. So whereas in, in African-Americans, uh, potentially because of improved uh, hygienic conditions, the immune system um, may actually not be trained as well um, to distinguish between self-antigens and, and pathogens, and hence uh, lupus is much more prevalent. So that, it was an interesting hypothesis-generating um, you know, study and certainly caught my attention as well as the attention of several of my colleagues. And we mulled this over as we talked about it in Journal Club, but that has stuck with me as uh, um, an interesting study. And certainly, um, you know, it, it it doesn't it doesn't mean that we do not see lupus in developing countries. For example, when I go to visit India and uh, meet my rheumatology colleagues there, their clinics are you know so full with patients who have lupus. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so certainly I don't think it explains everything, but it's very intriguing uh, data that um, needs to be looked into more carefully. Yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, clearly there is a lot of need, both domestically and globally, for treatment for autoimmunity. I think that, um, you know, clearly anyone who walks into the reception area here at Attune, they will immediately get the sense that this is this is different, that this is clearly a very modern approach to medicine. How would you say, what, what would you say is different about this practice? And what can patients expect when they come here? So, um, you know, we're very fortunate, um, um, Dr. Wallace and I, that in our careers, we've been able to um, express our theories about how to get autoimmune disease better in a very physical manifestation of a clinic space, which is designed around this one concept of putting together all the parts um, of the puzzle in this one place. So the things that um, went into the um, thinking behind uh, the design of this place was to make this a collaborative space um, because we really believe that um, to solve such a complex problem as autoimmune disease and inflammation, everybody needs to collaborate. So that means collaborations between different doctors, and we have areas where doctors can congregate and talk to each other about cases, about interesting new findings. Uh, it means uh, collaboration between doctors and other healthcare providers like uh, nutritionists like yourself, acupuncturists, physical therapists, um, people who uh, specialize in stress reduction and mindfulness and things like that. Um, and collaboration between patients and um, providers. So my strong belief is that uh, patients will be the driving force behind um, finding so real solutions for autoimmunity. And our space basically allows patients to be part of this conversation. And I think that really sets apart Attune Health from pretty much any other enterprise um, dedicated towards solving a chronic health disease problem. Uh, the other things that allow us to um, stand out is obviously our clinical expertise 
having years and uh, decades of experience treating and diagnosing autoimmune disease, and then having years of experience conducting clinical trials in autoimmune diseases. What we've learned from conducting these trials is that, um, A, they're pretty cumbersome and difficult to complete. The um, measuring instruments that we use are pretty blunt and not specific. So we've learned a lot from those experiences, and we're in an amazing time where um, healthcare technology has advanced to such a level that we may actually be able to solve those sorts of problems of measurement and um, finding the right outcome to measure in a lupus patient um, within our lifetime. So the space, again, has been designed to allow this sort of innovative technology to um, interact with the patients as well as the clinicians and the experts in research. So basically, we've designed this space to put together the best, the brightest minds, along with people actually who have the most interest in solving these problems, namely the patients, as well as bring in innovation and technology to address this, these very tough problems. And it's also a very um, healing environment where, you know, patients should feel very comfortable. They should feel that then, and they do, I think the um, natural lighting in this suite, the uh, patients really have been um, given the central areas of the suite where, um, you know, healing can occur. And, uh, you know, the water features, the plants, the greenery, the art, which, um, you know, is, is uh, very poignant and also um, healing in a lot of ways. So all of this uh, coming together in one place, it's been a great um, um, deal to achieve all of this. And, and we're so proud of what we've been able to do. And uh, we're really looking forward to taking it to the next step, which ultimately will lead to finding cures for autoimmune disease and inflammation. Yeah, you know, um, <clears throat> this is a practice that so clearly takes clinical trials seriously. I mean, I know that there are five full-time researchers that I know of here in this office. And so how does running clinical trials from this clinic benefit patients, and what are the conditions that you're currently running clinical trials for here? So um, clinical trials basically allow us to test out um, hypotheses about um, how to make patients with autoimmune conditions better. So in medicine, uh, the clinical trial is the ultimate form of evidence that something works and should be promoted and should be studied more or should be or it doesn't work and it should no longer be practiced and and that i think is the um main um you know tenet of um modern medicine so we certainly um are very interested in in offering clinical trials to our patients because this is where the um innovation from the biotechnology industry um, is being brought to our patients. Patients with um, autoimmune disease do have a lot of options in terms of medicines at this point in time, and certainly more than we did many years ago. But 
um, the medicines, a lot of them have side effects and the effectiveness of these medicines is not that great. So there's a lot of room to improve and get better medicine into the clinic. And that's been the focus of our clinical trial program to date. Um, what we are also, um, what we have also been participating in research trials of following patients with autoimmune disease over many years. And that really is very interesting. Um, and I'm hoping that patients who come to Tune Health will all consider at least being part of an observational study. And the advantage to the patient, obviously, is that you advance knowledge in the field of autoimmune disease. What are the factors that cause flare-ups? Allow us to understand what um, you know makes a patient do better, what makes a patient do worse. And we can only know that by following patients over time. So we have these long-term longitudinal studies whereby we take um, whereby we follow our patients, we do assessments on them every few months, we do blood work. We actually have uh, a grant now to do advanced proteomics and um, DNA sequencing studies and RNA sequencing studies to understand which genes are turned on at which point in time and uh, to try and understand which genes are responsible for which particular manifestation of lupus, for example. So that's the other type of uh, clinical research that is conducted here. And then the other type of clinical research which we are innovating and bringing into the clinic is to bring new technologies into the conversation and uh, using these technologies to advance um, our field. So, for example, if um, we have a... Um, um, we have a biomarker, a biosensor. It's something, a variable device that our patient with lupus can wear, and we can track and see how they're doing, whether their sleep is okay, whether their step counts are dropping or their activity levels are dropping, how they're eating, etc. And if we try and correlate this to the um, biological markers that we are also collecting on these patients, we will learn a lot from our patients. So, um, you know, these are the kinds of clinical trials that we're doing. The advantage to our patients are manifold. Number one, you know, you have a chronic condition and you're, you have vested interest to uh, try and uh, advance knowledge in this field. So by participating in these um, research programs, you're advancing the field. Number two is more directly if you have a um, serious condition and the traditional medicines that are being used are failing you or you have side effects or um, there is a potential new medication with a better um, mechanism of action that's more suitable for you, you have access to that sort of clinical trial. Um, and the um, third advantage, obviously, is when we bring in these new technologies into the clinic. Um, you know, you, you as our patient um, at Attune Health, who is actively participating in our research programs, you know, you have a chance to influence those uh, studies and to participate in those studies and to benefit from them. The um, clinical trials that we're running um, right now uh, primarily have to do with lupus um, and rheumatoid arthritis and myositis, which is uh, muscle inflammation, something that I'm interested in as well. And we are also adding trials of uh, ankylosing spondylitis and psoriatic arthritis at this point in time. Well, 
make an excellent case for um, participating in a clinical trial, both for the patient and for future patients. I mean, for the future of uh, treatment for autoimmunity. You know, speaking of advances, um, what are some of the advanced diagnostic tests that you run at Attune Health? I mean, I, I you know, let's say for for instance, for patients with a positive ANA. Um, you know, I've also always been told for decades that it's normal to have an elevated ANA, especially for women, that it's so common that it fundamentally doesn't mean anything. So um, what are some of the advances in diagnostic testing for patients? Yeah, so the ANA is kind of a um, double-edged sword. It's, uh, it's a nonspecific marker that there is an um, antibody being formed um, by your own immune system against the nuclei of your own cells. So it's an anti-nuclear antibody. Mm-hmm. And low levels of uh, anti-nuclear antibody can be found in the general population, the general healthy population. And the estimates vary, but it could be as high as 10% of the normal population. And that number actually goes up as you age. Um, it is a very sensitive test in the sense that if you have a positive ANA, um, um, if you have, sorry, if you have a negative ANA, um, it basically makes it less likely that you have lupus or a connective tissue disease, very low likelihood. However, if you have a positive ANA, it doesn't give you a diagnosis of um, a, an autoimmune disease. And, you know, it may just provoke anxiety where it's not needed. Uh, the data on whether having a positive ANA means that you will have uh, definitely have an autoimmune disease or that you will, um, you know, have a shorter lifespan or a, or a poorer quality life, that doesn't exist. So, um, you know, I would say that the ANA is helpful if it's negative and if it's positive, you know, further investigation is required. So we certainly um, have a lot of experience dealing with this sort of um, problem. And we have identified the top um, laboratories in the country and in the world, actually, to collaborate with on this um, effort. And we basically send our patient samples to the top laboratories um, in in the world and the country to analyze uh, why the ANA is positive. And, you know, there's a whole algorithm of different types of antibodies, including antibodies like double-stranded DNA, and then there's some innovation about uh, erythrocyte-bound activated complement levels and leukocyte-bound complement levels. And so we're constantly monitoring what's going on in this field, and we're identifying laboratories that excel in this technology, and we're offering it to our patients here. There's a lot of innovation going on in this field, and we're currently in uh, talks with a company that... um, is uh, going to run the whole ANA panel at the site of care in our clinic using one drop of blood, and we should be able to have a result within 15 minutes. So we should be able to actually, in real time, when a patient comes to our clinic, be able to talk to them about their um, laboratory tests and what they're doing. So there's a lot of innovation going on in this area, and um, you know we're certainly um, trying to keep up with all these advances and bringing it into our clinic for our patients. So do these tests allow for earlier diagnosis? Not yet. So we haven't reached the point where uh, if you have a um, earlier um, diagnosis, 
um, <laughs> from from these uh, blood tests. Uh, but um, you know, we don't have that predictive tool yet. There's certainly a lot of um, studies that are going on, including some of the studies we are participating in, where we're studying the genetics of um, first-degree relatives of patients with rheumatoid arthritis and lupus and seeing what genes are predictive for future development of these conditions. So once we map those genes out, then we might be able to come up with a genetic propensity score. But, um, you know, it's it's a tough field to um, uh, read at this point in time because those propensity scores are very weak, um, weakly associated with future development of um, um, rheumatoid arthritis and lupus. It turns out that, you know, the whole uh, 2000s, the early 2000s, that whole decade, you know, we we produced, like our, our field produced like hundreds and thousands of genome-wide association studies where, you know, patients' blood tests were run and every gene that was expressed was um, captured and then we tried to make uh, sense of it all. And at the end of that exercise, we basically concluded that though genes play an important role in the creation of autoimmunity, and there is a genetic background that is necessary, um, the effect size of just having a genetic mutation um, or two, you know, in causing autoimmunity is somewhat low. So I would say that genes by themselves only account for about 20% or so of, of autoimmunity, and there's other factors in the environment that are important. Uh, we've made some progress in figuring out what those environmental factors are, but we're still not there in really understanding which environmental factor exactly plays a huge role. I mean, one big advance, for example, in the field of rheumatoid arthritis has been that we uh, found that uh, particulate matter from smoking uh, is a huge risk factor for future development of rheumatoid arthritis. Wow, really? so, so that was, you know, identified within the last 15 years or so, 15 to 20 years, as a major risk factor for rheumatoid arthritis. So, you know, these efforts are ongoing, they're slow, but hopefully we'll reach a critical point whereby we start making these associations much quicker, easier, and find predictive tools. So in terms of predictive tools or what's on the horizon in terms of advances in treatments, what would you say excites you the most about what might be out there in terms of development, in terms of new treatment? That's a, <laughs> that's a good question. Um, what excites me the most, mm -hmm. honestly, is I think there's a lot of room here for um, for improvement in, in lifestyle. You know, I think that um, that's a piece that, um, you know, patients are craving for and want to implement, and they actually have control over this aspect more so than they think they do, and they just need the tools and the ability to recognize that. So I think lifestyle changes can have a huge impact in controlling autoimmunity, and in some cases even preventing it if there are early signs and non-life-threatening forms of the condition. So that excites me the most, and that's kind of where the space where I want to spend my time researching and uh, bringing in some of these newer technologies to be able to sense when patients are doing poorly and then have interventions for them that may prevent uh, major flare-ups in their condition. So uh, of all the things that's out there, 
I would say that excites me the most. So in terms of lifestyle choices, and I know that it's difficult to pare it down to just one, but mm-hmm. if you could give us one takeaway, what's the one lifestyle choice that you believe can improve the lives of those who live with autoimmune conditions? Well, I don't know if it's one, but I think it's uh, in it. It's you know, in general, having a um, good attitude towards life. Just feel that even though you might have an early sign of an autoimmune disease, or if you actually have an autoimmune disease, that you know you can still uh, have an impact on it. It it shouldn't um, you know rule your life um, by itself. Uh, seeking the right help, the right doctors, and the right um, uh, guidance to change the uh, lifestyle. And by healthy lifestyle, you know, I include um, adding exercise to your life. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, astonishing how many of my patients actually, uh, you know, do not feel good enough to exercise when, you know, actually, if they were able to find a form of exercise that did not make them feel worse, they would benefit tremendously. Um, making healthy food choices, uh, taking your time um, um, and reducing stress and sleeping adequately and giving your body enough rest. I think just the three of that, if, uh, three of those things, if we can somehow um, have um, an easy way to tap into that, um, I think we'd, we'd be doing great. Yeah, I think that is all solid, solid advice. Um I want to thank you for sharing your expertise and really thank you for making your life's work all about improving the lives of those with autoimmunity and inflammatory conditions. Um, and, but, but before you go, I'm going to ask you, I think, uh, an important question, and that is, you know, if you had to take two songs to a desert island, what would you want to listen to? <laughs> uh Desert Island, where I I have my um, iPod or my iPhone. Yes. Uh, I probably um, definitely have John Coltrane, um, you know, my favorite things. Um, And I guess something, you know, light and happy also. Um, Not sure what that is, but um, I was going to say Leonard Cohen, but... um, uh, most of him, most of it's, it's kind that's, of that's the antithesis of happy, right? Yeah. Um, um, yeah, I'd have to think about uh, happy <laughs> about the second one. So it looks like you're on the desert island of John Coltrane. That's that's right. not so bad. Yeah. Um, again, I want to thank you. And um, if anyone has more information, uh, is seeking more information about Attune Health um, or how to contact Dr. V. I want to encourage all of you to check out the information that's available on the Attune Health website. So go to Attune Health, that's A-T-T-U-N-E health.com. I want to thank you all for tuning in and hopefully you'll join us for podcast number two. Um, until next time, thank you. Thank you.